and breathe. Welcome to Calm Club from Anxiety UK. Delighted in this latest episode to be joined by a, um, a researcher, an academic uh, and clinical fellow at the boards, Dr. Laith Alexander. Uh, and Laith has been doing some interesting work looking at um, the role or potential role of ketamine as a, as a treatment option for anxiety. Um, and Laith, welcome to, to And Breathe and um, glad you're able to join us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, we've um, we've had a brief chat before we started this recording, and uh, you've given me a little bit of an insight into your work. Just for our, for our listeners uh, to to the Anxiety UK podcast, just tell us a little bit more about about your current work and your current role at the Maudsley and and your your links with uh, King's College in London. Yeah, so I'm an academic clinical fellow at King's College London and the Maudsley, which means some of my time is spent in research and some of my time spent uh, clinically working at the moment actually in psychiatric liaison service in King's College Hospital. Um, research focus really is um, both neuroimaging but also trying to understand a bit more about uh, novel treatments for psychiatric disease and that includes uh, anxiety disorders. Great so I mean ketamine is is, is one of those substances that people have heard of and, 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 and but just tell us a little bit more about where and in what circumstances is it being used currently? Yeah, so ketamine's still really, I would describe it as an emerging emerging treatment. Um, the first use of ketamine clinically was as an anaesthetic drug, obviously. Um, but lower doses of ketamine since really the um, early 2000s, or slightly before then, have been shown to have possible antidepressant effects and that's where its role in psychiatry really uh, emerged and ketamine's thought to act relatively quickly even after a single dose uh, to ameliorate symptoms of depression which contrasts with some of the conventional antidepressants we use like SSRIs and um, the other interesting thing about ketamine is that even after a single dose, it can provide quite sustained antidepressant effects. So to summarise, really, it's rapidly acting and provides a sustained response. Now, there was emerging evidence sort of in the 2010s, really, that ketamine might also be beneficial uh, in anxiety disorders, particularly things like generalised anxiety disorder and social anxiety disorder. But the evidence for ketamine as an anxiolytic treatment so a treatment to alleviate symptoms of anxiety is more i would say more in, in its infancy compared to its use in depression and um, what we wanted to do is try and assess what the state of play is what evidence is there currently for ketamine's use in anxiety disorders and that was really where this aspect of my research um developed and why we published this uh, recent paper in the Journal of Psychopharmacology. Okay. And, and, and from, from that research and from that meta-analysis, what, what, what sort of evidence is there about how, how well it works for anxiety? Is there any positive signs that, that, that says that this could be a, uh, a future treatment option for those people living with anxiety currently? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that there are. Uh, positive signs that ketamine might be used uh, as an anxiolytic drug in the future. It's um, important to say that when we did this study, we 
looked at anxiety as what's called a transdiagnostic construct. And the reason for that is, is that symptoms of anxiety are common in many different psychiatric disorders. So anxiety symptoms are prevalent in mood disorders. Uh, They're prevalent in post-traumatic stress disorder, which you could argue is sort of a very related disorder to anxiety. Uh, It's present in uh, physical health problems, so things like chronic pain. And um, obviously, it's the key component of all the anxiety disorders, which we know, for example, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder. So what we wanted to do, we adopted this transdiagnostic approach, really, to uh, ascertain whether ketamine had effects on anxiety symptoms, regardless of the disorder. That also links quite closely to um, recent work in neuroscience uh, literature, which is trying to move away from understanding the brain and understanding psychiatric disease in strict categories, as we use clinically, but rather try and understand what the underlying problems are in terms of brain physiology. And, you know, anxiety um, is an adaptive response uh, in many cases and is useful evolutionarily. But obviously it becomes an anxiety disorder when it starts to interfere with um, day to day function. And so the idea that anxiety is prevalent in lots of different disorders is transdiagnostic means that we could try and assess the effects of ketamine regardless of what the underlying diagnosis was if that makes sense there are benefits and disadvantages to that but um i think one benefit is that possibly it gets at the underlying construct a bit better if that makes sense the to some extent the the um separations we use in clinical practice are slightly artificial um and secondly it also meant that we could include more studies in the meta-analysis uh, so we could have a wider sample size of randomized control trials that we could include. Um, so that was a bit of a long spiel, but um, I'll tell you a little bit more just briefly about what we found in the study, if that's useful. Yeah, please so, do. Yeah, and what we the studies we included. So um, what we wanted to do is include um, randomized uh, control trials. So these are trials where you take uh, people with uh, a psychiatric disorder and you randomize them to um ketamine or randomize them to placebo and then you measure the effects of the intervention compared to uh, compared to ketamine on in this case symptoms of anxiety and um, we found 14 studies that kind of met that description and then we collated all the data from those studies um just for anybody who's not sure when, mm. when you say this is um, anybody who's listening and doesn't realise that it's a, a placebo is something where they think they're getting the treatment, but they're actually not. So you can you can see if there's any difference between those that are getting the treatment and those that isn't that are not receiving the. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, we had 14 studies that were randomised controlled trials looking at ketamine compared to placebo, and then what we did is we pooled the data from all these studies at different time points. So we looked at responses that occurred within 12 hours, which is the very rapid um, possible anxiolytic effect that ketamine has. We looked at studies that um, were between um, sort of 7 to 14 days, which were the more sustained effects. And then we also had an intermediate time point, which was at 24 hours. 
And we found that at all those time points from the studies we included, ketamine seemed to improve anxiety symptoms com compared to placebo. So that would suggest that ketamine offers um, quite rapid and sustained um, symptom relief in terms of anxiety across several different psychiatric disorders, because as I said, we were doing this transdiagnostic approach. Um, that's, I think, encouraging, but it's, there's still many questions to be answered. Um, many of these studies were only single dose of ketamine, and in reality, in clinical practice, you'd use more than one dose. And the dosing schedule of ketamine, I think, for these sorts of disorders is yet to be determined, as is the optimal dosing schedule in things like depression. We still don't know what the best thing is. And then there are also problems with the individual studies that we included. So, you know, all of the study, the meta-analysis is only as good as the individual studies that it has. And all of those studies were relatively small. And they were, um, there's an issue in studies looking at ketamine where the placebo is very obvious, right, to participants if they receive placebo compared to ketamine. And so that raises a problem of what's called unblinding where the participants are no longer blinded to whether they receive ketamine or placebo, and that might influence response as well. Okay. So w what do you think we need to do or what, what, what do we need to know and to understand if we're going to develop this as, as, as a truly um, additional choice, if you like, an additional treatment option? What, where yeah. do we need to go to develop that, that knowledge and understanding? Is it more trials? Is it more, more studies? Yes. There is there are a few avenues, I think. So more trials in anxiety disorders and looking at ketamine's effects on anxiety symptoms, that would that would definitely be important. I think also the quality of the individual trials is very important. So by quality, I mean um how many participants have they included? What are the inclusion and exclusion criteria? Have the um have the trial of uh, the people for the researchers sorry um managed to um mitigate the effects of dropouts from the study have they included appropriate measures of anxiety symptoms have they included measures of for example unblinding which is what i talked about earlier um because it's really important to ascertain how effective the blind is in these studies one way of mitigating the problem with unblinding is to include active placebos. So placebos that um, do have a psychoactive effect, but perhaps don't have an effect or aren't thought to have an effect directly on the symptom of interest. But the question is what, what drug is appropriate for that? That's the difficult question to answer. I think it's also really important to have studies that look at maintenance dosing of ketamine. So more than one dose. There were some studies in our meta-analysis that looked at more than one dose, but there weren't there weren't a huge number. And um that will help us address the question of how do we best administer this in clinical practice. Um I mean, given that there are um already a the other a, question of oh sorry of practicality to mean oh sorry, I think no, we were talking no, across no, it. Yeah, yeah. You go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. No, I, I was wondering. Okay, was... Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering, Leith, given that we've got a range of current treatments already available, 
what what are the benefits? What would this replace? What what kind of drugs would you say this would be? Ketamine could be used yeah, instead or, of, or is it just broadening out a different a, a different option altogether? Something that's going to be give better benefits. Yeah. Sorry, it's there's some question. noise in the background there. I don't know if I should ask that again. Oh, sorry. No, I can I can hear you. It's okay. Hopefully, you can hear me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think um, that's a good question. So if the sort of depression literature is anything to go by, then uh, ketamine would be used in difficult to treat cases. So those would be cases that fail to respond to, for example, two or more um, first or second line treatments. And that is because uh, treatment with ketamine can come with risks risks i think which we don't fully understand there are obviously concerns that ketamine is a recreational drug and a drug of abuse so there are concerns about addictive um consequences there are also concerns about for example bladder dysfunction which can be quite common in uh, ket uh, chronic ketamine use at least recreationally and also cardiovascular um side effects so that's why we typically don't use you, you. You know, you wouldn't use ketamine first line. And also, it's again coming back to these practicalities. You know, it's difficult to administer. You probably will need to administer it in a monitored setting. So a, pe a person would have to be, you know, briefly admitted into a into a unit where they receive the ketamine um, either intravenously or intranasally or subcutaneously or orally and then they would have to be monitored um in terms of their basic observations and ecg to make sure that there were no side effects all of these things by saying all of these things what i'm trying to emphasize is that ketamine probably wouldn't be being used routinely and probably would be reserved for more difficult to treat cases yes so a bit like the, the sort of stepped care model it would be a, exactly a step three yeah. or a step four treatment when when somebody had had talking therapy and they tried a different more and common over the counter drug, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and they weren't responding to those treatments, and then they needed exactly. something a little bit more of a, yeah, okay, cool. That's cool. where I would envisage it being used, but obviously, like I said early on, it's quite a far way. It were a far. Hmm. Yeah, we seem to be having a couple of technical difficulties here. I don't know if uh, way off there. I think. Um, I guess one benefit. Uh, sorry, the, can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good, good. I was just going to say the other thing um, to mention is that obviously benzodiazepines are sometimes used um, for acute relief of anxiety and those um, act relatively quickly and um, they tend to have quite um, transient effects, you know, they don't last very long um, and they also come with problems, you know, they come with issues of tolerance and uh, dependence um the risk of uh, toxicity um and withdrawal symptoms as well so how ketamine will be used in the context of those treatments i think is yet to be determined as well but that ketamine can provide relatively sustained anxiolytic effects after a single dose is i suppose uh, quite useful and quite beneficial okay and i'm just curious to know what, what what's what what was the motivation behind you doing this piece of work? What's what's taking you to this? To, what drew drew you to this particular um, 
piece of research and why 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 did you want to look at the, the, the ketamine as a as an option um so i guess there are sort of personal reasons in that um my research today was uh so my research interests are very much kind of about like neurobiology and how okay. these things act in the brain and um actually there's some preliminary evidence in animal studies that um ketamine might be beneficial for certain aspects of depressive symptoms and not others and actually the animal studies suggested that um ketamine may be less efficacious for symptoms of anxiety compared to for example in depression anhedonia which is blunted reward processing so when people just anticipate and are less excited by rewards and um that was part of the motivation so then i wanted to see if there was any evidence in humans if that if that was the case and i mean our small meta-analysis suggests that actually ketamine might be useful um in symptoms of anxiety which i suppose contrasts a little bit with the uh data in animals but yeah that was i guess the real the real motivation um a lot of what i'm doing now is kind of brain imaging stuff um looking at how ketamine acts uh, in in the brain on which bits of the brain um ketamine seems to modulate to improve symptoms of depression anxiety mm. and what sort of time scales do you think if 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 you did these additional trials and some some more you know, development work was done are we looking two or three years down the line five ten fifteen years or is, yeah are you able to say at this stage it's very hard to say i think it's um going to be several years before this sort of drug is used uh clinically for anxiety disorders um i couldn't give a specific figure but yeah, sorry so, it didn't mean to put you on the spot no, no 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 it's fine it's fine um it will be yeah i imagine it will be a while away and again, for those people listening into this episode, we'll would be interested in knowing: is it something that they can possibly access in the next year or two, or is it something that is a a bit further away? So at least um, anybody listening in will will appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not something that's just around the corner, unfortunately. No, no, no. But, but that's been really interesting. Really, it, it, it's always good to to know, you know what other things are being considered, what other things are being looked at. And um, certainly for, for, for some of our, uh, our members of Anxiety UK, for those people that approach us and ask us for help and support with anxiety, some of them have been living with it for many, many years. They've tried yeah. various different techniques and, and treatment options. And wow. and for some of them, they, they have found you know multiple different treatment options haven't worked mm. in a sustainable fashion and, and are almost you know hoping that there's something else around the corner so it's always good to to talk to people like yourself who are doing this this is valuable research work into what other treatment options could potentially be coming down the line and we know that there's lots of different um new 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 purposing of drugs that can can, can potentially be a solution and people can at least know that there is a lot of work in this field is being done to try and find other solutions and other treatment options that they they may be able to to access in 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 a, you know, in, in, in a later time. So that's been really interesting to to listen. Anything that you've not that I've not asked you about that you think our our, our listeners ought to ought to know about? Um, I suppose there's just one thing that I was going to um, mention, which is relevant to ketamine, but also relevant to a lot of these um, emerging 
treatments, certainly in the fields of depression. So you may have heard of things like psychedelic drugs and things like that, is that, I mean, one of the main theories about how they work is that they're quite potent um, inducers of neuroplasticity, which is basically the idea that these drugs can make neuronal connections very malleable. And the way that I see these drugs working is that they set the brain up to be in the right state to undergo new learning. And that new learning, the content of it obviously varies depending on what, you know, what condition we're talking about, whether it's social anxiety, whether it's OCD or PTSD, or whether it's generalized anxiety, you know, the focus of that new learning may be different. But that new learning will probably take place in things like, you know, set psychotherapy and things like that. So the way that I see these drugs working is that they will work in concert with um, psychological therapy and may make the brain more amenable because they induce neuroplasticity or support neuroplasticity to undergo new learning during that therapy. And then also when people are out and about and, you know, they're hypothesis testing and they're trying to think of different ways of thinking about the world that's where these drugs might be quite useful i just think that's an interesting point mm. to to make um yeah. things like ssris also influence plasticity but perhaps they're not as potent yeah. and not as quick acting yeah. as these drugs yeah, yeah. so that it's not an either or it's a as well as as well as yeah option. exactly yeah. i think yeah. i think although again there's not a huge amount of evidence with them but, no but it's know, an interesting an interesting thought isn't it an interesting hypothesis to start yeah. with yeah, if that helps your your brain accept those other messages more more willingly and, and exactly and, and process them easily and and, and help you manage those because that's uh, anxiety at the end of the day often is just a thought isn't it well and i think it's also a, it's a, the it's a, yeah the, the other implication i think is that perhaps using yeah. just just the drug might yeah. not be the most optimum strategy because yeah. you need to undergo that appropriate new learning yeah. whilst yeah. the brain is more malleable so yeah and, and yeah. more receptive to the, more receptive. To the new learning yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah fantastic that's a really interesting thought to to end on i suppose if if yeah. if, 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 if there's if, if if there is ever a good place to end a, a discussion mm. of this nature <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no i think it's it's good to be a sort of um realistic and opt but optimistic at the same time i think it's yeah well, Leith, I, I thank you for your time. It's been really fascinating to get to know a little bit more about it than than I knew beforehand. And hopefully, those that have listened to the podcast will, will also go away uh, uh, with, with some newfound understanding and knowledge of the potential role of ketamine as a treatment, uh, uh, part of a treatment uh, approach to to dealing with anxiety. And thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy, very busy person. So, really appreciate your time today. And um, yeah, no problem. And good luck with the research. Keep in touch with us, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on in a couple of years' time, maybe five years' time. We'll be visited, revisit it, and <laughs> tell us about how it's being used out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. For having no me. problem. All the best. Thank you. Now. All the best. Bye bye.